Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. In this episode of CDO Matters, I interview Dr. Juan Sequeira, the principal scientist at Data.World and the co-host of the Catalogs and Cocktails podcast. Juan holds a PhD in computer science from the University of Texas at Austin, Hook'em Horns, and is a noted scholar and researcher in the fields of semantic technologies, including knowledge graphs. Juan is a frequent public speaker at data and analytics conferences across the globe and is passionate about helping data leaders implement more modern and innovative approaches to both data strategy and data management. When it comes to some of the newer technologies in the data space, including graph and semantic layers, there are few experts in the field with a deeper knowledge than Dr. Juan Sequeda. So with that, let's get to our conversation with Juan Sequeda. Good morning, evening, or afternoon, everybody. This is Malcolm Hawker, and I'm here with another episode of the CDO Matters podcast. I'm joined today by Mr. Juan Sequeda, who is the principal scientist with Data.World, the host of the Catalog and Cocktails podcast, which you, was, you should certainly check out if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to talk today about a few different concepts, a few different kind of hot topics in the data management space. Uh, the first one I'm really looking forward to. We're, we're going to dive into. Uh, we're going to dive into the data mesh. Uh, I met Juan for the first time, in, at least in person, uh, about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, at uh, at the CDOIQ conference in in MI, at, on the MIT uh, campus, which I thought was just a fantastic conference. One of one of the best that that I've been to. Uh, had, had a great conversation with him there. He actually kind of challenged me on some of my MDM-centric views of the world, which is which is a really good thing. I always find that uh, uh, make, makes for great conversations. Uh, Juan is a, uh, a resident of Austin, Texas, which I lived in Austin for almost 20 years before moving here to the uh, to the Florida coast. So we we, we certainly have some uh, some things in common there. I'll, I'll stop introducing you, Juan. Maybe you want to say just a few words about yourself. What would you want our listeners to, to, to know about who you are and, and what makes you tick? Yeah, well, first of all, Malcolm, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, and I, 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 we, we, we met, uh, had that quick conversation at uh, having cocktails at the MIT CDO conference. Yeah. And it was just great how we really connected in. And we had some some good friction. And I really love that. And so, so thanks. We can, I'm really, really excited to get more into that. So just quickly, I'm, I'm the principal scientist at Data.World. And, and together with my colleague, Tim Gasper, we both host uh, Catalog and Cocktails, which has been this podcast that we've been doing now for over two years. Um, I My background, I come from the – I have an academic background. I, I did my undergrad and my PhD at the University of Texas at Austin working on data integration and semantics and knowledge graphs before there were knowledge graphs and stuff. And I continue to be in academia, in academia. I have PhD students and stuff, but I kind of, I love to go take the research and bring it into the real world. So I started, I've done a couple of companies. The latest one I did uh, I was about semantic data virtualization and then sold the company to data.world a couple of years ago. And that's why I'm here. Um, so I, I, I love to be the bridge between the, the, the tech side and the business side and understanding what the pain points are 
bringing them back into the into the engineering world, sometimes into the scientific world, and trying to kind of close those loops. So do that from a development perspective, and then in the last decade, I've realized we got to do this for the data side too, right? So I think right. that's what one of my interests. Um, so yeah, let's just kick it off. What, 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 what do we want to go talk about? There's so much. Well, what, one thing I want to ask you based on what you just said, we're, we're get, we'll get into our core topics, but something that interests me that after what you just said, which is this notion of being a bridge, right, be, between technical and business. If I was a business kind of centric CDO, if I'd kind of come up from the business side, you know, CFO, uh, maybe product side, maybe sales side of the house, what's, what's the one thing that I really maybe don't understand about engineering types? <laughs> Right. Like what or what's the one thing that I should really know about engineering? You know, I'm, I'm managing a large team now. I'm a CDO. I've got data scientists. I've got all these folks that what is the one or two things that you would advise really kind of getting to understand about about those folks that, that would drive competitive advantage for a CDO? Well, I would say that you would actually they need to have people on your team who can, who can be those bridges. So. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not going to be able to go understand everybody and their and, and their mindset and stuff. Yeah, they're going to be very rigid. They're going to be thinking about, I mean, as a technical, as a computer scientist, for example, I look at things as inputs and outputs, right? I look at things as abstraction layers and I'm in, I'm, I feel comfortable in a level of an abstraction layer and not in others. Other people may be interested or they feel comfortable being a compiler. I can, I can move between different abstraction layers, right? So there, I mean, that's the mindset that we have as a computer scientist, as an engineer right there, right? So give me the requirements. Uh, this is what you want. This is what I'm going to give you. But I think th that's part of the, the the gap that we have, and I think what you really need is to is to have people on your team who can be able to go fill that gap. And you don't, as as, as a leader, I think you you want to understand kind of the overview of things, but you just want to be empowered by having the best people around you. Right. So that, that's what I would suggest. People like you, got it, who can sit in the middle and have a conversation with a business person or with a data scientist. Uh, okay, let's dive into it. So. All right. um, Without further ado, topic number one, the data mesh. This is something that was, I would say, probably the number one topic of conversation at the, this industry event that we went to a couple of months ago. It was all over the agendas. Uh, most certainly a lot of the vendors were talking about it. I was blown away by how many, I'll just say loosely catalog centric, for lack of a better phrase, but catalog centric vendors that were there that were pitching their tent around the idea of the data mesh. I'll be honest, I'm a little bit of a mesh contrarian. <laughs> I believe in it, by the way. So I, I, I love the notion at a high level of this, of uh, you know, data as a product. I, I love the notion of decentralized data management. So there are some things about the data mesh that I really like, but I'm really concerned that we have a situation of architecture driving business. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to what I just said? No, so I think, first of all, uh, it, I, I think we're on the same page. The, and let's, let's see if we let's see if we are on the same. I think we are. Yeah. Let, let, let's see where let, let's see where we start diverging here. First of all, data mesh is a social technical paradigm shift. It is not something you buy. And I repeat this over Agreed. and over again. If somebody is selling you a data mesh, please run far <laughs> away and as fast as you can from that from that vendor because they are selling you BS. Right. So that's number one. So it's something you can't buy, and it's as it is, it's a social technical paradigm shift. And the thing is that we've always been focusing on the technical side and we're not as a, as an industry, as a community, as technologists, we don't like to speak, talk to people. We don't look, focus on the social side. So that's a big shift that has been occurring. Um, and then 
for me, the two most important things when it comes to, to data mesh, yeah, they're all the principles, definitely, and I agree all the principles, and go read the book that Shamak has done, and and, and, I, and I will pub I publicly say this, Shamak, I think, will go down in history, in the data management history, as being kind of that inflection point, of that person coming up with shaking up the world to say, we need to start thinking more on the social side. Shamak will go down in history for that, and, 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 and everybody will have opinions about this, and, and it's great. Two important things that comes out of this, in my opinion, my perspective. One, bringing product thinking into data. We do product thinking into a lot of things. We do product thinking into software. We do product thinking in how I do want to go design this really nice Yeti water bottle. There was product thinking that goes on to talk about that stuff. How about we do that to data? I don't think anybody will disagree. And if actually, if you disagree, I don't want to work with you because I think you're on the wrong side, number one. And second, it's understanding that balance of what needs to be centralized and what needs to be decentralized. And there is a balance. And that balance depends on the culture that's in your organization, on the size of your organization, on the industry that you're in. And that's going to evolve. And it's and, and you're not going to go switch one day and start. So I think those are the two things. And everything I just said, it's not around, you don't need technology for that, right? It's, it's just, I mean, that's the social side about it. Now, let me go kind of clarify when I, I don't need, when I see you don't need technology, you don't need technology to go start. You need a, technology is definitely an enabler for all these things. And I think this is one of the things that we kind of, as technologists, we struggle is like, we always think about technology first. Um, and I think that's the problem if that you're going into this mindset of data mesh and going technology first. And my point is go social first. And, uh, you're going to get uncomfortable because as technologists, we don't like to talk to people. So when you say social first, what form would that take? Does that mean you need to understand at a very intimate level kind of the cultural and political and maybe even kind of HR drivers of an organization? Is that really what you mean? Yeah. Yes. Okay. My, so so I when I talk to our customers, like when I talk to prospects, I just talk to people in the hallways or just in conferences and stuff. I ask them, how, what's, what's your culture and your organization about centralization, decentralization? And I get three responses, three types of, one, oh, we're centralized. Oh, we're very decentralized. Or the other one is like, huh, I've never thought about it. So if you are already very decentralized, it's going to be less friction around that. If you're very centralized, there's going to have a lot of friction around that. Think about it. And if you don't, huh, you don't know, well, you should probably figure that out. And right. how do you do? Just go talk to people. Well, my, my concern there, I'm not sure if concern is the right word, but I think in many ways, the way that organizations behave may not be fully aligned to their strategy. So when I was a Gartner analyst, what I heard all the time was a lot of decentralization, a lot of decentralization, but decentralization kind of by default, right? Because of a lack of a focus on governance, a lack of, I'll say it, leadership, a lack of overall business strategy. And what ended up happening is organizations kind of defaulted to, de to decentralization because they had to sell products and they had to deliver goods and they had to wow their customers. And those are all very, very good things. But what I would see is, is, you know, technology is saying, okay, well, we're decentralized. That means we need a data mesh. Meanwhile, they've got senior leaders saying something slightly different at higher levels. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. I think the whole, at the end of the day, this data stuff, treating data as a product, centralization, decentralization, this is not the goal. This is a means to the end. And I think that's something we need to understand. I, I, I publicly say this. I think a lot of the, the data teams, 
we're on they're on this high horse. They think that they're the greatest, greatest, latest, greatest thing. And I'm like, you know what? You're not <laughs> actually, you're not get off. Yeah. Don't you don't think you, you have a big ego right now. Uh you need to understand how the organization is making money and saving money. And you need to be able to connect your work as directly as possible to how the organization is making money and saving money. And if you are not able to express that, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not being successful period. And I think that's the shift that we need to go have. And, and to do that, you just need to understand how the business works. I, I I've been talking lately, like we always say data literacy, how about business literacy? How about making sure that that your data teams, your technical teams understand how the business works, how the data flows, how the money flows, and how is that connected with the people that you're talking and they're asking you for these things, for, for whatever reports or whatever analysis and stuff. I think that's the difference. And I think I did this, I did this analysis a while ago with, with, with my buddy, Mohammed Osser. We were looking at just at, at we looked at one of the largest, largest companies in the U.S., just in the U.S. on LinkedIn. We looked at the number of employees. They had like 20,000 employees and just in the U.S. How many of them had titles like data analyst, data types of titles? 3%. Ooh. So you think we're, so we spend, this 3% lives in a bubble thinking they're the greatest thing. How are they actually helping that 97%? What an interesting stat. Oh, thank you. Muhammad, by the way, super, super sharp guy. Really looking forward to having a conversation with him uh, here on CDO Matters. Uh, your perspective, I completely agree, right? I completely agree with what problem are you solving? What value are you driving for the organization? Totally, totally aligned. On this notion of data as a product, another thing that I'm kind of seeing is and, and the joke I said on a different version of, of, of another podcast I was on is that you remember ever participating in these kind of these team building drills, right? Where they, they'll, they'll put four or five or six people in a team and then they'll give them like a toilet paper roll, some duct tape and some, you know, uh, some pasta and say like, go, go build a, a bridge, right? And, and that's kind of how I see what's happening in, in, as, as a phenomenon in the, in the data as a product world, meaning um, the outputs or, or the raw materials are just fixed, right? Like if I'm a, if I'm the VP of product management, which I which which I actually have been, the first thing you do is you figure out a problem to solve, right? And then and then you work your way all the way down to what are the materials that I need to build the product to solve the problem to drive the revenue and on and on. But what I see with us data people is which we're so prone to do is we start at the bottom with this kind of this set list of raw materials. And it's like, okay, well, how do I duct tape some of this data together to productize it? Um, so you're, you're nodding, obviously you, you, you agree. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you thinking as, I, as, I, as I'm speaking? We look at the entire data landscape and look at it from a historical perspective. Let's look at this from the principles, understanding the inputs and the outputs. And they haven't really changed, right? So the first principle are we're moving data. In, data comes in, data comes out. That's your ETL type of thing. Your second one is I need to store storage and compute. Data comes in, questions come in, answers go out. That's your data lake, your data warehouse, your data lake house, your data warehouse, blah, blah, all the right, databases. Then your other one is I need to use data. Data comes in and then other types of questions come out, come in and then answers come out. That's your analytics, your BI reporting, your, your, your MA, ML, AI, all that stuff. And this is historically been what we've been seeing throughout the last 20 plus years. 
Uh, and now the modern data stack is taking that to the cloud, which now there's less type of work that needs to get done. Click, click, click. You can get all these little boxes up and running. But what we're seeing in the last, I would say, five years, right, definitely less than 10 years, is that there's a much more of these little boxes coming around. These all these little categories, these features that are turning, they're becoming categories. And some of them are bigger and kind of have more history, like metadata management has always been around, right? Um, there you have MDM has been one of those things that you would say, well, they can go inside of part of the, 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 the moving data, transforming data and stuff. And now there's data, data catalog, right? The data observability, data quality, data ops, data, blah, data, 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 ABCD, right? Now, the thing is that we're just we're overwhelmed with all these things and as technologists this is cool i get to go play around more tools uh but that's not what the business needs so i think that we're just we've just been exposed to all these cool new tools out there and it's much more easier to create tools uh right now SaaS makes it such easier to go test around tools and stuff that we just focus on the technology and i think the issue here is that we've been defining success from a technical perspective which is, oh, my data is now one place. Well, that's not what that was not the goal. The goal is I'm answering this business problem. You physically, technically solve the solve a problem, but how do we know that's solving the business problem right there? So we really need to start shifting. This is the paradigm to the social technical side is define success from the social perspective, from the business perspective. If you spend all your time and money and you built your beautiful data lake and all this stuff works with CICD and, and, the, and the quality is perfect, but People can't answer a question to go make money and save money. Then I'm sorry, you you have not been successful. You, you you pretty much just encapsulated most of my experiences with Hadoop, <laughs> right? Which is like a previous company I was with spent a lot of money on implementing uh, HDFS clusters and 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 building out kind of a, a big data infrastructure, and. To me, who was on the business more on the business side at the time, the story that I tell is that all of those investments answered a whole bunch, uh, provided a whole bunch of answers to questions that nobody was asking. Right, well, like it, like all of these in, really interesting and and we never even knew about correlations. Right, like that all of a sudden. Okay, wait a minute, but nobody's asking about that. Right, is this is this money well spent? So this notion of you know, the, the social and cultural and kind of business and, and outcome driven perspective here is, is, is key. And I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And, and and to the Hadoop point, it's like, well, why did people jump on the Hadoop bandwagon? Well, because Google was doing it. And why did right. people jump onto the NoSQL thing? Because Amazon generated Dynamo. And Google did the Hadoop and Big Table and stuff. It's like, guess what? You're not Google. You're not Amazon. I know you want to be. I know you think you want to go be right stuff. And, and you know what the problem is that you also hire a lot of people that come from those companies and then they bring in that mindset, that culture, but that's not who you are. I mean, I've, I've, I'm sure you've worked to work with companies, billion dollar companies and their data still can fit on my freaking phone. Right. It's not big data. Right. Right. So this, this compartmentalization, right? This, this hyper-focus on features and functions and, and making new things in the data world. You, you listed a whole bunch of them, right? Uh, data observability, uh, new, new phenomenon in data, data ops, uh, on and on. So, so do you think that's doing more harm than good? That's what I'm hearing no, you say. No, 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 I, 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 no they, they exist for a reason. There's a technical reason for their existence. Now, 
are they are they going to become the gigantic next category equivalent to a data to storage and compute? Mm, probably not. I mean, right. I think a lot of these things are going to get consolidated. They're features, right? If you look at the boxes, I, I would I would argue that there should be these three main boxes, and there should be at least a, a next fourth box, and 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 that fourth box, um, let's just I'm going to call it the glue for now. That glue, because it 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 connects to that first box of moving data, it connects to the second box of the storage and computer, it connects to the third box of of using the data, because there are things that you want to be able to 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 understand how that's going. I mean, so that's metadata comes in there right that's so so it's a metadata box around that right because that those first those those first three boxes are about data being moved and then you want to have another box of the metadata but then it's not that metadata is connected to all these things because i want to know uh where what's in that first box what's in that second box what's in that third box i want to know the quality of the first box the second so so there's all these questions you have so effectively they're features um so right now there's not that fourth box there's like 15 different boxes. So I think we're, so what we, so what we need to have is a lot of interoperability around this stuff. Uh, but even if I have an operability, do I really want to start connecting 10 different tools all together? So I think we'll, we'll, we will eventually start seeing more of this consolidation. I mean, it's bound to happen. Um, but kind of what my recommendation is look at it as the principles. Yeah. Understand what are the inputs and what are the outputs and don't get just focused on the features because I, I will say I'll publicly say this. I am very annoyed when I go talk to customers and prospects that go off talking about the features. I'm like, do you know what your business strategy is? What is it you're trying to go do? I always tell them, here's your magic wand. That feature that you're requesting, blah, it's solved. So what? What are you doing tomorrow? And if they can't answer that question, then, 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 I mean, why are they so focused in on that feature? Right. And, and this is kind of the shift that I talk. We need to go from this data first world and tech first world to this, what I call the knowledge first world, people, context, relationships first. You need to understand who are the people who are actually asking these questions and why they're asking them and try and, get, and kind of push more. Ask why, why, why. And this is something that we don't do on so, both sides, on both sides. That's, that's, that's a great segue. Um, this kind of this notion of the relationship driven world, the context driven world, which feeds right into your background and your PhD. Uh, love to talk about that a little bit more. Just to tie off in the data mesh, what I think I'm hearing you say is you're a believer, but you're a believer because of the operating model focus. I would I would say kind of the, the political and cultural and organizational things that you mentioned really kind of speak to the overall operating model of an organization. And that I think what you're saying is, is that the increased focus that the data mesh is bringing to data leaders about the importance of those things is a, is a good thing in, in total. And, and so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's no, what I'm going to say. And I, I would add to that is if you, are, if, you, if, you can t if you bring in that focus from a social people perspective, yep. then that's, that's what we need. If you ignore the social people perspective, all you're doing is the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's Einstein's definition of insanity. And if 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 you're just going to go do quote unquote do data mesh, and you're just going to bring in a bunch of technologists in, into the room, and you're not going to understand who are the consumers and what are the problems and how is this going to evolve and what is the roadmap and bring product thinking to that stuff. If you're not bringing that in, then you're just going to go build the next 
the, the next data swamp, what are going to go do? And, 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 yeah. and, and, and my, and, and those are, don't work for those people. Don't work for that. <laughs> uh, I, I love what you just said. It actually ties very well to a conversation I had on this podcast a, a couple of weeks ago. So I would welcome listeners to check it out is with a, a fellow PhD named Cheryl Flink. And Cheryl uh, speaks much about this notion of human-centered design, where kind of taking kind of a human-first approach, what you use in the word social. Social to me is just a group of humans. Yep. Um, <laughs> but 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 that how important that would be to a CDO or any other senior leader uh, who's looking to solve for some of these difficult business problems. So love it. Let's twist a little bit. You know, when, when we... We're speaking in uh, in Boston. One of the things that I appreciated most about our interaction was, you know, I, I, I walked up, we said hello, and I, I basically kind of pitched my MDM flag, <laughs> right, and said, "Hey, I'm a big MDM believer." And and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your your what I heard you say was, "Man, that's kind of old school." Are you sure? Well, I I would say a lot. So one of the early episodes of Catalog and Cocktails was just Tim. I mean, actually, the kind of the first 30 episodes of Catalog and Cocktails was just Tim and I talking. And one of the episodes that we had was about MDM. Is MDM dead? So, so who are you talking to? Oh, you're, you're Tim. Just Tim. It was just okay, the, okay, okay. the early okay. episodes of Catalog and Cocktails. We had no guests. Okay. And it was just the two of us. Okay. And I asked Tim, so Tim, what is MDM? He's just it's fancy data integration. I would say, oh. I'll never forget that. Fancy data integration. Okay. So I would, I, I think that we need data integration for sure. We're always integrating data. So MDM is really not dead. I just think it's a, it's just the name itself has some old school baggage. We just need to go change it. So other vendors, I know they call it mastering or data mastery and stuff. Um, at the end of the day, we do need to be able to go interconnect data and have, have ways of defining rules. And you want to have machine learning approaches to be able to say, Hey, these are these two records the same. They mean the same thing. Um, we definitely need to go do that. But I think part of the shift is that we've come from this, the, the previous, let's say the previous world is the single version of the truth. And I think that is what is going to start shifting yeah. because oh, that, yeah. because there, there may be a need to have a single version of a truth. And if there is, that needs to have that centralized governance. Now, I think we need to be open to understand that the world is very complex and that there be multiple versions of the truth. And we need to accept that. And we need to embrace that complexity. And I think part of the business literacy that I talk about is when somebody says, I need information about customers. Oh, but what do you mean by customer? There's so many versions of customers. It's like, yeah, okay, what's your version? Oh, my customer is when this is, oh, well, I'm glad mm -hmm. I'm not using your data because my version of customer is something else. And I'm, and that would have been the wrong thing to use your data. Having that conversation and being actually proactive to say, no, what version of customer do you mean? I mean, there's other versions. Okay, great. Or, so I can't use your version of, for, that, for that context that I have. That's what business literacy is, is that you understand what this means. And, and, and then, yeah, we still need to have the, the master data, uh, the, 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 the reference data for what customers are and understand that there's different versions of customers. So I think that's what we need to go to. So kind of to wrap up here, when I say, oh, MDM is kind of that old school thing is like, I think traditionally we connect MDM with like technology of the two, 90s, 2000s of single version of the truth. Yeah. And I think that's not, that shouldn't be the case anymore. And I think it's more about we need to be agile about how we're defining things. We need to make sure that it is going to be something that's going to get evolved, uh, that there that there's a there, there's different context around that. We need to embrace that. And but yeah, we do need to have reference data for sure. I mean, 
Yeah, well, couldn't agree more. And, and you just use reference data uh, as a replacement for single version of the truth, right? So there will be a need for a single version of the truth, particularly reference data. Um, I, I love your I love your partner's use of the fancy integration. Actually, I agree. <laughs> it's really fancy, but really complex integration where those business rules need a specific place to be managed. I also fully agree in this notion of context-centric, semantic, am I using the, the word yeah. the right? Okay, semantic MDM or, or some sort of, well, I would argue MDM is a semantic layer because it allows yeah, def, definition well, management. But, but what I'm here, what I heard you say is that there should be room for multiple versions of the truth. Even if there's a single source for those different versions, I, I would say that there is still an architectural need for a single source, one place to go get these things. Because when we're talking about master data, we're not talking about a lot of data, right? We're not talking about terabytes and terabytes. Persisting that data, replicating that data is not a ton of overhead for the average organization, even though I still talk to a lot of data leaders who have this kind of this antibody response to replicating data of any, of any form. It's like, oh, no replicating. We don't want to do it. With MDM, it's a pretty light footprint. But I do love the notion of context centricity, meaning one group should be able to see one thing and another group should be able to see something else. And that's where kind of graph would come in, what Gartner would call augmented MDM, more semantic expressions of different use cases within the MDM realm. Do, do you agree? Oh, let, let, let's break this down a little bit because I think we're starting to kind of throw a lot of a lot of the a lot of the buzzwords. Buzzwords, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm falling prey right. to my no, own. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. So, so, so. Um, we have kind of your your the facts, the observations yeah. that exist, and these are things like I don't, you have an order management system. This is literally where somebody make a click and purchase something. Like this is this is a fact. This occurred, right? This is an observation of the real world that happened, right? So that's the the, the source of the and that that data stores right there. Now you want to make an interpretation about that, um, and those interpretations we need to then understand what those concepts are. Oh, there is a customer. The customer places an order. The order can have order lines. Those order lines can is about a product. The, the order is shipped to an address. That customer has a shipping address, has a billing address, right? The order has a stat. Like, so that definition there of that schema, that model, that's the semantic layer. That's the ontology that you want to go do. Yeah. And then what you want is to say, well, I want to be able to go define. I, I, I want to understand what that model is. And then I want to connect that. To where the original sources of the data come in. That could be your ERP system, your CRM, CR, because those are the facts. And when you make those connections, those connections are those mappings. They're those transforms. Those are that, that's where you would have these rules where MDM would live. You're like, well, I couldn't make this transform, this mapping this way, this other way, this one way. I think the expectation is that there's there could only be one way of defining this mapping from the source to the target. My point is, for some things, there may be only one way or there should be one way because of how the business is defined, because right. of regulations. But for other purposes, depending on the context, marketing sees users a different way than sales sees a different users and the customer CS team can see different users. Those mappings can be different. So we just need to be very explicit about that. So. And again, this isn't new. I mean, we have a source schema, we have a target schema, we have mappings. And I think that's, for me, thinking about the source schema, this target schema, the mappings, that's where semantics come into play. The mappings, the rules, is what actually provides, grounds that semantics to the data. 
You draw something on the whiteboard, those bubbles and lines, that model, that's semantics right there. That's what I, that's what Juan, go ask Juan what, what, how our business works. I'm going to go draw bubbles and lines. Go ask Malcolm how he thinks about the business works, bubbles and lines. Now actually compare them and we can see where we overlap and we don't. That, that, that's our different context. And, and, and what we want to go do, like that, that knowledge that we just drew on the whiteboard, connecting that to the actual data, which is the observations, the facts that occurred, those mappings, those rules, those transforms, that's how we ground the semantics into the data. And I think we do this a lot implicitly, uh, but, and we need to make this explicit right now. And I think this is the, this is the shift that we need to start thinking about. So I'm paraphrasing you, paraphrasing you here. Uh, but basically what I heard was data mesh, fantastic, awesome, but to do it effectively, you're going to need this semantic layer, right? Uh, same thing is true with a data fabric. I would argue it's even more true with a data fabric, which we really didn't talk about today, maybe separate topic for separate conversation, but whether it's data quality, whether it's MDM, whether it's some of these kind of older school, arguably legacy, I hate to word, use the word legacy, or, you know, um, foundational concepts, they're still there, right? Yeah. They're, they're still they're still there. They're not going away. It's just we need to be open to different interpretations, different use cases, different value props. Couldn't agree more. The challenge there, though, one, again, maybe our next conversation, the challenge there is the governance aspect, because what you just said are a whole bunch of conditional rules, a whole bunch of if-thens, Right. If it's this, then it's this. If it's this user or this use case, or then it's this. Is this mapping? Right. There's a lot of conditions there that would need to be defined and managed as a part of a governance program. Because that, to me, that's that's those are policies. Right. That, yep, that's no. that's governance straight up. But but I, I fully agree, and I think this this is the mentality that we need to start figuring out on on balancing centralization decentralization, and we need to decentralize a lot of these things. So. There are some of these rules and definitions that need to be centralized. Things that um, I, I always give these examples. One is on, on the pot, on our podcast, we had uh, 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 the, the chief product officer of Matillion, Kieran, and he said that Matillion defines a customer very explicitly centralized. A customer mm -hmm. at Matillion is a user who has been on their platform for thirty six days, not mm -hmm. thirty five, not thirty seven, not thirty, not one. 36 days. They have their reasons behind it. That's that's the rule. Everybody in the company uses that rule. If you just you don't use that rule, you're wasting people's time. So that's one thing. Uh, you may have to go define what PII means because that's for regulatory purposes. You have to have a mandate saying PII means sensitive sensitive data about names and 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 social security numbers, whatever. What is because PII is different for. For, uh, for many organizations. Now you can define it, what it the, what is the global thing for the organization, and then every, other de all departments, all domains need to reuse that, but they can go extend it, saying, hey, well, we got even more sensitive data, so we're going to extend our definition of PII. Um, what is a phone number? A phone number needs to be very specific about things, and we need to have a very specific phone definition of a phone number because that's how we're going to go do customer uh, service, and, and we're super customer service focused, so we need to make sure we have the perfect phone numbers, and here's your definition of a phone number with the permission that phone number needs to have. You need to go use that. Now, other places, other domains can go say, that's not centralized. I need something. I'm going to go create it. That's fine. I'll be explicit about it. And I think when you think about the kind of the data product, something that we've been talking about uh, is this, this data product ABC framework accountability, boundaries, contracts and expectations, downstream consumers, and explicit knowledge. C for contracts. 
I am going to, I'm representing this data product. I'm going to tell you what are the contracts around these things what and what you should expect. This I'll make this stuff explicit. Now, when you're often looking and searching for data products, you're like, I now know what I expect. It's very explicit to me around these things. So if I'm asking for, if I'm expecting another thing, I'm like, you go read the freaking manual. You didn't. That, so I think that's the, that's the balance you have to go have. And at the end of the day, if you consume the data and it doesn't satisfy your expectations, but the expectations were specific, were clear, then it's a consumer's fault. And I think, and at the way, this is this is the balance we have to go do. And when you said something else that uh, you brought up something that people said, oh, I don't want to replicate data. I'm like, that's true. But guess what? You think there's only one water bottle on Amazon that can go by? No, there's thousands of them. It doesn't matter because the best get ranked first. And right. those are the ones who will survive. And that's that, 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 so this is embracing complexity. I like the framework, the A, B, C, D, E. And I like the contractual um, aspect there, different kind of twist on on what a contract would be, but it's it it is is it, it you could use the word policy, I think, but it yeah. wouldn't fit to your <laughs> it, yeah. it wouldn't fit to your CDE um, if Paul if P was right in the middle there. But um, I, I, I love it, and I, I think that maybe there's room there even in the future to be talking about contracts being managed in alternative technologies, like maybe even a blockchain separate conversation. Maybe we can talk about that next week when we're both at Gartner because we're both going to be there. Yes. On that note, Juan and I need to go and start getting our beauty sleep and we need to start, you know, eating some protein bars and making sure we have good nutrition in advance of a three day grind next week in Orlando of, of, of talking with folks and having data discussions and seeing amazing pre presentations from amazing presenters. So Juan, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Fantastic insights around the data mesh and around data products. Look forward to seeing you next week. Same thing, Malcolm. Thank you so much and look forward to having keeping this conversation going. Sounds good. Thanks.